God's word as we read. And we're going to read through the first nine verses here this morning. Uh, as we stand, then we'll get into the teaching together. Uh, we're, we're looking basically at the, uh, the, the trial of the Apostle Paul before Governor Felix. And, and by the way, I just want to remind you that, I mean, I think it goes without saying, but Felix isn't a black cat after all. <laughs> there was a, a real dude named Felix who was a governor there in, in, in Judah at this time. I'm not going to do that last. No, don't worry. Okay. Chapter 24, I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all peace, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, <coughs> excuse me. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by with great violence, took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, you will ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And we'll continue that as we, as we continue on with the study. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time this morning and for your word. We pray that you, by your spirit, would speak to our hearts. This morning, through your word, might he give us the understanding of it that would enable us to understand your love for us, your protection over us, your heart for us. And even as the, the way that you led Paul in, in his situation that we are looking at here in Acts chapter 12. Lord, as your spirit is our teacher, might he lead us into your truth. Might he glorify your son and our savior, Jesus. And God, be with us now, we pray. Go before us. We ask it all, Lord, in our savior's name. Amen. You guys may be seated. 
As we continue this morning uh, looking at the trial of Paul before uh, Governor Felix, we had seen that um, the Apostle Paul had been brought to Caesarea, uh, having been rescued from the Jewish mob there in Jerusalem by uh, the commander, uh, Lysias, as named here in this passage, uh, warned by uh, the Apostle Paul's nephew that as he somehow overheard or found out that, that uh, there was a group of men who were going to, who, who had taken an oath to kill the Apostle Paul, 40 of them, they would neither eat nor drink, they said, until uh, the Apostle Paul was dead and, and so forth. Uh, the commander was made aware of it through the, the Apostle Paul's nephew, and he got a, a group of a couple hundred soldiers, speaking to two centurions, brought, brought Paul to Caesarea, uh, which is, by the way, a beautiful coast town, a, a coast city there in Israel. You know, every, every time we go to Israel, we have the opportunity to go. You know, that's one of the stops that we make. It's just a beautiful location. Uh, and uh, in, in essence, what, what that was, I mean, it was a beautiful location, of course, and it's where Herod, we, we, we see there in verse 35 of chapter 23, as we left off there last time, that uh, uh, the, the, the Governor Felix read a letter that was written by the commander about what was going on, and then he said, uh, we'll hear from you, Paul, when, when your accusers have come. And then he placed uh, uh, Paul in, into Herod's praetorium, which was Herod's dwelling place there in Caesarea. Uh, and basically what it was, it was a palace. I mean, it was his beach house, basically. I mean, it basically a palace right on the beach. And uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful location. And, and, and if you've been to Israel, you'll remember that. If you've never been to Israel, doesn't seem like there's going to be any trip there soon, not at this point in time. I'm sure a lot of cancellations are taking place right at this moment, but um, given what's going on there. But uh, you would see that, that there's a, um, y y you can't see the, the I mean, the, the house is not there. I mean, the, the palace is not there. It's been, it, this was few th a couple thousand years ago, basically, right? But you can see the, uh, uh, the foundations of it. Yeah, right there uh, beneath the shallow water as the waves come in and so forth. It's, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. But that's where P Paul kept. So it's like, nice prison. You know, a, a, a beach palace, basically, is, is what, what he was held in. But I, I'm sure that there were some rooms uh, for him to stay in that were maybe not quite so pleasant. But basically, that's where Paul was being kept at this time. So we see here that as... Uh, Luke continues writing of this particular incident, the, the arrest and these trials of the Apostle Paul before the, the, the Roman authorities. Um, we, we see that um, in verse 1, five days after Paul is before Felix at the end of chapter 23, Five days later, Anani we see Ananias, the high priest, along with the elders of the Jewish leaders, right? And a certain orator named Tertullus. 
came to Caesarea. And Luke writes that they gave evidence to the governors against Paul or, or gave proof to the governors against Paul. Now, we, we read together just a few moments ago from those first nine verses of the evidence that was presented. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But in terms of this group of people who came there to Caesarea, uh, uh, Tertullus, this orator, along with Ananias, the high priest, and the elders of Jerusalem, they, they came there. The fact that all of them were there gives some evidence for us as we read this, some understanding of the serious way that these Jewish leaders were taking this situation and wanted Paul arrested. Actually, they wanted him killed. You know, they, they were very willing to hear from that, that, that group of 40 men who had taken that oath to kill him, right? Very willing to hear that. In fact, they were the ones who instigated the mob terror, if you will, in Jerusalem that were basically beating Paul to death. And it's interesting how um, this orator, Tertullus, never said anything about that. And we'll get to that in just a moment as he, as he speaks about uh, the uh, uh, commander, Lysias. But we see the serious nature in which, uh, with which they were taking these, uh, th this situation with Paul, just wanting to get rid of him. He begins with these words in verse 2. Again, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity, and, uh, and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Just a word about that. That basically is a lie from the pit of hell. Felix was not leading peacefully. They were not receiving blessings from, from his authority. In fact, a couple of things I want to read to you as I researched this and, 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 and found a few things. Felix um, was a man whose life began as a slave. His brother, Pallas, uh, P-A-L-L-A-S, he was a friend of the emperor Claudius, and through that connection, Felix was able to rise in status. He became a free man, and, and he um, was the first slave in history who became a free man and then became a governor in a Roman province. Um, but it seems that his slave mentality stayed with him. One Roman historian by the name of Tacitus wrote this, that Felix was a master of cruelty and lust to exercise the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. One commentator by the name of Williams wrote this, the picture drawn by Tacitus of Felix's public and private life 
is not a, pre a pretty one. Trading on the influences of his infamous brother, who I just shared with you, uh, Pallas, he indulged in every license and excess, thinking that he could do that he could do any evil act with impunity. John Stott said this of Tertullus: In reality, he Felix had put down several insurrections with such barbarous brutality that he earned for himself the horror, not the thanks, of the Jewish population. And so. I mean, even in, in those words from John, John Stott, barbarous brutality, it does cause us to think of the things that we have heard coming out of Israel with Hamas and what they've done to the Jewish people. You know, the, the barbarous brutality and all. Um, and it could very well be that, that Felix oversaw those kind of actions among the people of Israel at this particular time. But as uh, Tertullus was addressing him, this is the way that they would address someone with the authority to hear a case and make a judgment. It was something that was very common. And this, this kind of flowery language, you know, I mean, the, the uh, Jewish leaders saw that they that they wanted someone who would be able to convince uh, Felix that the charges against uh, uh, the Apostle Paul were sufficient to see him imprisoned, if not executed. And all the flattery that was involved with this, you know, I mean, if someone's going to flatter you with a particular uh, purpose in mind, they're going to tell a few lies. Have you ever been flattered by someone telling lies about you? I mean, just I mean, you know that's not true. You know that you, you know you're not the person they're describing, but they're, but you know that they're just wanting something from you. You know, and they come with these words and say, "Okay, what do you want?" You know, I mean, your 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 teenager comes to you, "Mom, you're such a great mom." Okay, what do you want? You know, I mean, that kind of a thing, <laughs> something like that, right? But this is something that, that was very common, and, and, and this flowery praise and, 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 uh, and flattery was something that was very, very common. In fact, F.F. F. Bruce writes this. He said, this kind of language was regarded as appropriate in addressing rulers, especially in the Near East. It was customary also to promise brevity, as Tertullus does here, the promise was sometimes kept, sometimes not, but it was calculated to secure goodwill for the speaker at the outset of his speech. So flattery is something that we need to be careful of. Flattery is something that we have to be careful about giving. Uh, we, we see some scriptures having to do with that. Uh, by definition, flattery is to praise excessively, especially from motives of self-interest. In Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, Paul the Apostle wrote, as he was closing out his letter to the Romans, he wrote, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned 
and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. That's the purpose for which flattery is given. To to be to at the onset begin this system of uh, of um, basically deception that takes place in the book of Jude, verse sixteen. Jude writes, "These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they and, and, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people." Great or to gain advantage. Four different times we see in the book of Proverbs uh, a connection between flattery with the sin of sexual immorality. And it leads for us a question how many people have been seduced into immorality through the flattery of another person? Not just sexual immorality, but immorality of any kind, really, through flattery. Proverbs 20:19 says, "He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips." Now that's an interesting thing. God tells us, "Do not associate with one who flatters with his lips." If you have a friend, somebody near you, somebody within the family, maybe a neighbor, somebody in the workplace. Workplace is a place where you're going to find flattery. You know, uh, uh, where, wherever, I mean, if, if it's an office space or whether it's a, 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 a manufacturing facility, a factory, or whatever it may be, you know, when the workers are together, all these things, the, these gossip, this gossip takes place about the supervisor. Then the supervisor comes around and things change in terms of the way things are spoken, right? You know, I mean, that's just, that's just human nature. It's human nature. But we see the reality of all that. But we see here, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. We as believers need to be careful about who we hang out with. In fact, we are not to be hanging out with people who are known as flatterers. Interesting. Interesting. Doesn't mean that we can't witness to them doesn't mean that we can't talk to them doesn't mean that we can't spend any time with them but the idea of hanging out as friends got to be careful and one other verse uh, two verses actually psalm 78 verses 36 and 37 this is speaking of the leaders of israel nevertheless they flattered him the lord with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they g- faithful in his covenant. Even when we give praise to God, if it's not heartfelt, if it's not from a sincere heart, it's flattery. And God doesn't want it. God is always concerned with the heart, isn't he? He's concerned with the heart. So even on a Sunday morning, as we come together, you know, I mean, some of the times, sometimes it can be difficult to come to a worship service 
But we come because we know we need to be here. And yet, we can have strained relationships at home. A married couple might be fighting on the way to, to church in the car. And you pull up in the parking lot and they're greeted by the parking lot ministers. Oh, good morning. How are you? You know, and I mean, you know, you've just been calling your wife names or something like that, you know. I mean, those kinds of things happen. They, they, they do. I, I, I understand that to be true. It can be a difficult thing because one thing that the enemy does not want is us to enjoy our worship, to enjoy the presence of God, and honestly with a sincere heart worship Him. And He will bring up things on a Sunday morning that just cause our hearts to be stirred up. So we, we do need to be careful. In verses 5 and 6, we see that Tertullus begins to lay out the charges against the Apostle Paul. We have found this man a plague or, or a, a, a great pest. A creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. Now, I'm sure Tertullus didn't mean this to be um, a, a, a compliment toward the Apostle Paul, but it certainly was. If he had, if through him, the entire Jewish world was being somehow impacted, I'm sure Paul in his heart was going, oh, that's cool that he's saying that. I like that. That's exactly what I want, you know. But not, not to be a cre creator of dissension at the same time, if the Lord is making an impact through him among the Jewish uh, uh, population, that's something he certainly wanted. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to profane the temple. We're just going to stop there just for a moment and pick up in, 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 at the end of verse 6 in just a moment. The basic uh, charges, a plague, creator of dissension among all the Jews, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Basically, they're charging him with being politically dangerous, one who is a, a dissenter. Uh, and uh, as he's accused of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, that, that, is, that is a real slam because as, as we understand from John 1.46, Nathaniel, uh, speaking uh, to uh, Philip, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Philip said to him, well, come and see. He spoke about this man from Nazareth, and, and, and Nathaniel saying, Nazareth, nothing good comes from there. It had that kind of a rep reputation. It, it, it was a city of lowlife. A city of lowlife. So that, 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 that's the idea behind that. And so that was, that was a real slam from Tertullus's lips upon Jesus and upon those who follow him because of this, this uh, uh, word spoken about the, the Nazarenes. But we see that he says, we have found this man a plague, a creative dissension, a ring, this ringleader. Uh, and he even tried to profane the temple. Now, profaning the temple, that's the only specific charge in terms of an action that actually is given. I've learned something from watching Judge Judy. 
Any of you watch Judge Judy? <laughs> I haven't for a while, but Jeanette really enjoyed watching J Judge Judy, and I would watch it with her. And I started getting into it, too. But um, um, <laughs> one, one thing she used to say you know, to people is, you know, this person is this or this person is that. She would say, well, what did you see him do? What did you hear him say? Well, I heard, no, no, don't want, not what, you, what did he actually say? You know, he, he would come to that. What are the actually things that you witnessed? And Hercules didn't bring any accusation that was actually from someone who actually witnessed what took place. He did this so. Well, all, all, all that, that uh, Felix was hearing was the so. He, he's a dissenter. You know, he, he's a rabble-rouser. He's a ringleader. Um, he's a plague. He just causes problems everywhere. What did he do? He, nothing was said, right? So th that's something that's an important part here of, of this whole situation. But trying to profane the temple, that is something that he's being charged with. It is something that's at least specific. But it's interesting that he says he even tried to profane the temple. He doesn't say that he did profane the temple, that he attempted to. And he acts as if when he learned, when they learned that he was trying to, to profane the temple, that's when we went in and we stopped him. That's all we were doing. We were keeping him from profaning the temple. We see that in verse 6. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. Now, you guys remember, and I mentioned this earlier, it's interesting that Tertullus does not even speak about uh, what was going on in relation to, to Lysias. The following vo uh, verse, the commander came and with great violence took him out of our hands. You know, uh, you remember in chapter 21, uh, they, they were attempting to kill him. They wanted him dead. And when the information got to the, the commander's post about what was going on in the city, he sent some troops there, and they stopped them as they were beating on Paul. Remember? As they were beating, they were trying to beat him to death. They wanted him dead. And he was rescued from their hands. Tertullus says nothing about any of that. A and all these things were trumped up, all these charges. You know, they, 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 were, they weren't true. They assumed, you, you'll remember in Acts 21, verse 29, it says, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian. Now, speaking about the, the Jews from Asia who had come, they saw Trophimus, who was an Asian, not a Jew. He was a, he was a Gentile. And because they saw Trophimus, they assumed they took him into the temple, as we see there in that verse. Again, they had previously seen, previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. He didn't. And they didn't see him in the temple. They supposed that he'd been brought in to the temple. You know, a, a lot of bad things happen when suppositions or assumptions are being made without facts actually being drawn out and actually declared. So, 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 so we see here 
these things taking place. Now, Paul didn't have anything to fear from the truth because he knew the truth. He knew that he hadn't done anything wrong. We understand that when he did go to Jerusalem that he had come for the purpose of bringing the offerings from the churches in, in Asia as well as in Europe to help the church in Jerusalem because of the famine that had taken place and because of the persecution that was taking place against the church as well. And, and Paul's going to mention that in just a moment. But he had nothing to fear. And one thing that we see here that seems to be a consistency among people who will bring flattery. That person generally is a liar. And if that person is flattering you, when that person goes away, that, pers that person may try to flatter somebody else and speak evil of you in order to gain uh, a position of, of favor with that other person. You know, I mean, that's just what, what, what people will do. In verses 7 to 9, again, we see Tertullus uh, speaking of Lysias, the commander, doesn't mention anything uh, uh, again about the uh, what these this Jewish knob was doing, but we, we do see him moving on to that particular place and closing with the thought, by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. He didn't have any evidence for any of these claims, and it seems like he is relying on the uh, Felix speaking to Paul and relying on Paul cripping up and giving some evidence based on what he himself is saying. So that, 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 that's, that's all that he has. But we see the other Jews who were there, um, the uh, high priest as well as the elders agreeing with everything, saying, yes, these things are so, without stating any specific acts that Paul, is, that, that Paul took, but just basically agreeing. Now, beginning verse 10, we see Paul beginning his defense. Now, let, let's, read, uh, let's read that. Let's read through verse 21. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Now, let's just kind of pause there for a moment. We, we, we see him basically telling Felix that, that he is, is glad to hear from him. He's been overseeing the area for a period of time. Didn't tell any lies about how blessed they are that he is overseeing them, but just the fact that he did. So, so he's, he's just saying, I'm, I'm glad to be able to, hear to, to speak with you, to speak before you. A and one thing he says here in, in this 11th verse, he mentions the 12 days, even from this point. The last five days he was waiting there in Caesar's Praetorium, uh, or excuse me, Herod's Praetorium, waiting for uh, the, the leaders of the Jews to get there. And uh, a few days before that, it was just him getting there to, uh, a couple days getting to Caesarea, 
from Jerusalem. And so basically he says, you'll know that it's only 12 days even since before I arrived in Jerusalem. I went straight into Jerusalem, went to the temple, went to worship, and I haven't had time to cause any problems. That's kind of what he's saying here. I haven't even had time to cause the problems that they're they're talking about. But uh, he also says that his purpose in coming, as we see in verse 11, was to worship. And he went into the temple to do that. Remember, he, he had been convinced by the Jewish leaders to take part in this, in this vow that other men had been taking and so forth to show to the Jewish Christians that he truly was still a Jew, even though he was saying to the Jews that, uh, about the uh, Gentiles that we can't force them to become Jews. We can't force them to, to follow Jewish customs and, and to follow you know, the, the, the sacrifices and so forth, a, as was decided back in chapter 15 at the uh, council in Jerusalem a few years before. Now, beginning in verse 14, excuse me, verse 12. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. So he just makes sure that, that Felix sees that they've brought no proof of anything that, they've, that they have said. They didn't find me doing any of these things. Nobody is saying that. I ought to be a free man, basically, is what he's saying. In verse 14, but this I confess, so there is, uh, he, he kind of acknowledges the reality that he is a part of this uh, group of people that are worshiping the Lord in a different way than these Jewish leaders were. But this I confess to you that according to the way, we would say today according to biblical Christianity, that might be a way that we would say that, following after Jesus, um, which they call a sect. He says they call it a sect. It's not a sect. It's not a sect of Judaism. It is really where we naturally go, according to the scriptures, when we acknowledge that the Messiah has truly come. Right? It's not, that, that, that's basically what, what he's telling them. They call it a sect. In this way, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. He's confessing that he's worshiping according to this way. But he's doing so according also to the law and the prophets. He hasn't abandoned God at all. He's, he's not forsaking the law. He's not ignoring the prophets. He's worshiping the same God that these other men are worshiping. He just simply acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. That's all he's doing. Worshiping according to that, this way of following after God. And he says in verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, 
that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, you remember that, that Paul used this idea of the reality of the, or the, the truth of the resurrection to bring division among the Sanhedrin while he was in Jerusalem, seeing that some of them were Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. Others were Pharisees who do believe in the resurrection. And, he's, and he, he caused them to be divided against each other by saying that. And, and he recognized that many of them who were there with him there are among the Pharisees as well and, and cited this same truth. But there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. You know, as we consider that truth, and that's a big statement to make. And I don't believe that there are a lot of people today in our world, we in the church, we ought to be thinking about resurrection a lot. Not just at Easter time, right? We ought to be thinking a lot about the reality, the truth of resurrection. You know, when we lose a loved one, as I recently did with my bride, the truth of the resurrection gives me such hope gives me such hope so that we do not hope or so, so that we do not sorrow without hope. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, we sorrow with hope, the hope of the resurrection. But we see Paul mentioning more than just simply the resurrection of those who have faith in Jesus or the resurrection of the just, but also the resurrection of the unjust. Reality is in the end times, when, when, when the judgment comes, those who do not have faith in Christ, they also will be raised. They will be given a body that is the same kind of body that we're going to have, fitted for eternity. And then, because they failed to, to honor the Lord, failed to follow after Christ, failed to resurrect, or failed to acknowledge the, the coming of the Messiah, failed to receive the truth that Jesus died for their sins, and that's the only hope of salvation, they will end those resurrection bodies fitted for eternity be cast into the lake of fire. Everybody is going to experience the resurrection. Every human being is going to exist through all eternity in those resurrection bodies. And in that resurrection body, it cannot be harmed. And this is a horrible thought, guys. But those who don't trust Christ are going to be in a body that is fully operational, and it cannot be destroyed to the fires of hell, fires of the lake of fire, as we see it described, can not destroy the nerve system, and that person is going to feel that for the rest of eternity. That's horrific. Horrific. The truth of the resurrection of the just and the unjust. The resurrection of the just unto eternal life in the presence of God. The resurrection of the unjust to eternal damnation cast into the lake of fire. Something we don't like to talk about. We don't even like to think about it. It's so horrible. 
It doesn't mean it's not truth and shouldn't be talked about at least occasionally. But it should give us motivation to speak to others that we know do not know Jesus. Because we know that's their eternal state. All right? Let's consider that as we look at that. Jesus said, he spoke of this, he said in John 5, 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. All who are in the graves. Everybody. Will hear his voice and come forth, the voice of God, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so we need to respond to the truth of the resurrection. And in fact, John wrote in 1 John, in his first letter, uh, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, one response that we have to this truth is while we are here today, living in this world today, that we live a life of purity. That we attempt to do so. We read the scriptures, we attempt to follow them. Living a life of righteousness and purity and, and holiness, enabled and empowered by the power of God's Holy Spirit within us. Because, because without Him, we simply can't do it. We simply can't do it. But with Him, we can. But acknowledging the reality of these things. Verse 17 tells us that Paul. Well, verse, verse 16, this, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God. And so it's for this reason that, that, he, that he desires to live after the ways of God. Verse 17, now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. After many years, basically referring to the fact that he hadn't been in Jerusalem for a while. And he came to worship. It had probably been about five years or so since he had come. He came to bring these alms and offerings, uh, a reference to that gift that he was bringing to the church, uh, as well as a reference to the oath that he had taken to bring offerings into the temple to offer sacrifices. In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. Again, just he's, he's refuting the, the uh, uh, accusation against him. And then he says, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Obviously, that's true. They should have been here to, to, give, to give their testimony. But there, there, there is no testimony to be given because it can't be because it didn't happen. So, so, so that, that's the reason. And, and Paul brings up a, a great point. Then he says, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. A reference to what I uh, alluded to just a few, few moments ago. 
we see Paul in the context in the context here with all that he's saying. We see him citing his own good works. Now, there's a passage that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-12, that, that I want to share with you. Peter writes, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, let's pause there just for a moment. Peter writes, I implore you, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Now, he is referring, isn't he, to the reality that this world isn't our home. Our citizenship really isn't here in this world. Where is our citizenship? In heaven, right? In heaven is our citizenship. And we are just simply pilgrims or sojourners in this world headed to our real home, our real place of citizenship, heaven, because as citizens of the kingdom of God, based on our acknowledgement that Christ is our Savior, we're going to heaven, that's our home. And that's why we say when a loved one goes to be with the Lord, she went home, he went home. Home to be with the Lord, right? Because we understand the reality of it. That means that we're not home now. That means that we are in a foreign place, not our home. In a foreign kingdom, not the kingdom to which we belong or the kingdom of which we are. You know, we are in the world, but not what? Of it, right? All those things are speaking of that truth. And so Peter acknowledges that. We, are, we as sojourners and as pilgrims, we're on a pilgrimage right now, headed for home. And he goes on there, uh, Peter does, in the, in the 12th verse. Oh, and the idea of um, fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Every time we do something to satisfy, satisfy our flesh, which is not according to the scriptures, not, not from God's command, is an action that is warring against our own souls. It's just simply not good for us to sin. It might be enjoyable in the flesh, but it's not good for us as, as a whole being. He goes on and says in verse 12, as we are sojourning, we are to abstain from these lusts, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or among unbelievers. That's the point of that word in the context here. Having our, honor, having our conduct honorable among unbelievers that when they speak evil against you, or, or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. There can be lies told about us. There can be misunderstandings. People come to the wrong conclusion about us because they seem think seeing us doing things that, that they don't understand. 
So they'll say things like, oh, why'd you join that cult? What cult are you part of anyway? You know, that, that kind of stuff, for one thing. But in a world that calls evil good and good evil, they will say that we as believers, when we stand up to, for the right to life, whether it's of an elderly person or a child in the womb, they call it evil. Because we're not allowing a woman to have her own choice over what takes place in her own body. And we're not saying that she doesn't have the right to choose what to do with her own body, but we're just simply saying you've got another person's body inside of you. And you don't have the right to do that to that body. That's all we're saying. Right? But we're evil. Calling good evil and calling evil good. And their position to do that as they maintain, let's give a woman the right to choose, meaning to bring the life of that child in the womb to an end, that's good. Those are things that we face in our culture. Those are things that we face. There are many other things, many other things as well, but that's just simply one example. But, when we are called evildoers, when it comes down to it, when they come face to face with God, they will remember the good works that we did. And God will be glorified as they remember those good works that we did. So let's always remember that. You know, we, we may not be honored today in the way that we follow after Christ especially by those who don't believe in him, don't those, those who don't follow him. But there will become a time where God will be honored through our following after him. Verse 22 to 27. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, Luke comments that he had a more accurate knowledge of the way. Why? It could have been because of Drusilla, who was a Jew, a part of, uh, uh, a part of Herod's family. That could have been why. But he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I'll make a decision on your case. So basically he was stalling. He, he didn't come to a decision. And we'll see something in just a moment. So he commanded the, the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide him or provide for or visit him. So as a Roman citizen, he wanted to give him these freedoms. In fact, he was due these freedoms because he had not yet been convicted. So he was due these freedoms be as a Roman citizen. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now look at this. Now as he reasoned, Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him because he was waiting for Paul to bribe him. An evil motive 
to say the least. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. We don't know how, uh, again, how um, Felix had this more accurate understanding of the way following after the Jewish Messiah. Um, we don't know how he gained access to that. Could have been through Drusilla, others that he heard. But, but you know, by, by now, uh, uh, the Christian faith was growing, of course, and so it wasn't an uncommon thing. But he had a more accurate understanding than most. But we, we see Paul preaching to him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Paul understanding the kind of man that he was. And Felix became convicted in his spirit through what he was hearing, and he didn't want to hear anymore. Yet that conflicted also with his spirit that wanted to somehow solicit some kind of bribe from Paul. So he had this conflict. He wanted to hear from him. He also, uh, Drusilla was a part of this as well. She and he would come and hear from him, from, from the Apostle Paul. But you can imagine, two years. For two years, he would call from, for Paul once in a while. How often? We have no idea. I'm sure it wasn't weekly. But every once in a while, he'd call for, for him. Paul would, would share with him, and he was to send him away, hoping that after a period of time, he would bribe him. He never did for two years. And by the way, two years was the limit for which a Roman citizen could be held uh, uh, in, in jail be without being convicted. If that took place, if the two years passed, they had to let him go. And so it was, really, it was very irresponsible for, for him to do this. And we see after a two-year period of time, uh, um, a, a new governor came into play, and we'll see... Uh, some things take place next chapter in regard to Paul before Porcius Festus. But you know, as Felix failed to make a decision in regard to Paul's case, he procrastinated that. He just wanted to avoid that. He also wanted to avoid making any kind of decision of any spiritual content. Because when he heard some things he didn't want to hear, he just said, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. A very common response. I remember a time when I didn't want to hear it. Do you guys remember? Before you came to Jesus, you didn't want to hear anymore? Because, well, I've got some things I want to do in my life, and I want to continue doing that, and so I don't want to hear it. In the case of Felix, there were some political power uh, objectives that he had. But, you know, we, we've, got to, we, we've got to kind of search our own hearts. You know, we, 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 need, we need to self-examine our hearts in regard to those kinds of issues. And even as Christians, having made the decision to follow after Christ, and then as the Lord may, through his word, bring 
conviction of our to, to our spirits of some some um, disobedience, and we can do the same thing. No, I don't want to hear it. I want to continue in that place. Why would we do that? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in regard to hearing the truth of God's word. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, he said, For he says, speaking of God, and now he quotes out of Isaiah 49, In an accessible time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Felix didn't want to hear it. We in this room have. At least most of us. Perhaps there's one or two who haven't. But now is that acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Do we refuse to listen because of, uh, of some, uh, something that we're, that's going on in our lives, something that we're doing, some, some kind of behavior, some kind of habit that we enjoy that we know that God would not be pleased with? We just want to continue that. Well, I pray that we will all be open to what God wants to do. Because he came, he sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world, to take away the sin of the world. And you know, guys, right, right now we are going to celebrate that fact through communion. We're going to take a few moments to just thank the Lord for what he has done for us. And if there's anyone in this room who has not yet acknowledged Christ as your Savior, uh, I would encourage you to uh, not partake of the communion because this is for someone who has received Christ as Savior. But you can even now, while you're sitting there, acknowledge him and receive. But there's no one, um, if there's anyone who has not yet received the elements and you want to partake with us, just, just raise your hand if you haven't received this yet. There's a few over here, guys. Um.